Did we have a good Christmas? Okay, all right. So some of you guys didn't get what you wanted. So maybe next year Santa will be a little better to you guys. All right. So, hey, glad that you guys are here. Hopefully you guys were able to come by and to check out one of our Christmas services here at Grace last week. Um, Didn't the band just kill it? I mean, they did a phenomenal job. We got to give it up for them. They did an awesome job. Hey, speaking of the band this morning, Blaine had me cornered telling me that I had to preach in one of those cute little Santa hats they had, right? Not going to happen, okay? So I decided to revolt, right, and I decided not to wear one of those like the rest of them. So, And I'm glad for that, all right? So, all right, hey, we're going to go ahead. We're going to jump right back into our series, Wreck the Halls. And if you've been here the past few weeks, this has just been our Christmas series where we've been looking at how Jesus' birth and him coming to this world has wrecked so many things. The first week you looked at uh, how this, this birth of Jesus, it's profound and it's shattering, and that in his birth, he wrecked religion, right? Maybe doing good to get to God and that whole idea. And then last week, we looked at how Jesus' birth, it wrecked our goodness and our, you know, us trying to be good enough, right? And uh, we looked at the rich young ruler. And today, we're gonna close out our Christmas series, this Wreck the Halls, by looking at how Jesus' birth, it wrecks our culture, all right? And how it, yeah, just shatters our culture. And so um, what we're going to find out, though, is since Jesus' birth, this is, I mean, it's not just Jesus wrecking the culture. It's not something just now that's happening, though it is, but it's been happening since Jesus' birth. And a way that we see that is we go all the way back to the Christmas story. And we look at the very first group of people that heard that Jesus was born. And an angel came to them, if you remember, and they were out in the field, and they were the shepherds, right? And Jesus, he comes to them, or I'm sorry, this angel comes to them to say that this Jesus had been born, and they go and they worship him. Now, just thinking over this, this Christmas story and the shepherds, uh, just some things that come to my mind. The first thing is this, is, man, you would think that this angel would have went to the temple. Like God would have sent this angel to go to the, the synagogue or somewhere where there's you know, people that are following God, like, religi- like the religious leaders that were at the temple. You would think they would be the first ones that would hear about this Jesus being born. And then they would go and they would worship him. I mean, they were the ones that studied the Bible. They knew more about the Bible than anybody else. So why not the religious leaders? I mean, they're the perfect candidate for this. But it's not. It's the shepherds who the angel comes to and says that this Jesus, this Messiah, is born. Why not Zechariah? Zach talked about at the beginning of his message last week, if you remember, how there's this guy you know, named Zechariah. I mean, he's a good guy, right, a priest, perfect candidate, right, to be the first one to hear about Jesus being born and then to go to Bethlehem and to worship him. But he's not. Instead, again, this angel comes to the shepherds. See, the shepherds in that culture, they were social outcasts. Most of them had a, had a background, we'll say it like that, a background of being untrustworthy, of being criminals, of being thieves, of stealing. The only job that these guys could get would be, again, to, to, to be a, shop, a shepherd. See, if they had a problem with stealing, they would just, again, be the only people that they could steal from would be other shepherds that would be out in the field with them. I mean, they would be alone most of the time, taking care of sheep, watching over the flocks at night. 
But it's interesting what happens. Luke 2, they're in the field, right, taking care of their sheep out there. And boom, right, a light from heaven shines on them. And it says that they're terrified, right? They're, they're full of fear. And the angel says, hey, hold on, hold on, fear not. Don't be afraid, right? There's no reason to fear. Angel shows up to them. Light shines down. And they're terrified. Now, for all of us, that would be scary, right? I mean, for, for anybody, that would be a scary thing to go through. I mean, you're out in the field, think about it, right? In the middle of the night in Ohio, right? And a light shines from heaven, a little freaky, right? I mean, that's going to be scary. But for these shepherds, it was even a little bit more scary. Because think about this, based off their reputation, I mean, a light shining down in heaven and there's an angel talking to them. I mean, based off how they live their life, they're probably thinking, man, a lightning bolt's going to come down. It's going it's to strike me dead. Like, usually when God shows up, they're probably thinking, you know, it's probably not a good thing based off of how I've lived my life. See, it just doesn't seem to make sense why God, why he would send these angels to these guys to go see the king. I mean, these guys were the most unlikely candidates to go see any king in that culture, let alone the king of kings being Jesus, his Messiah. But what we're going to find out today is the message of Jesus is not limited to a specific type or a specific group of people. It's for everyone. So that's where we pick up. And our story. Because when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight <clears throat> to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, notice what they do. They reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The fact that God, he shared this message with these people that were messed up shepherds. Even in Jesus' birth, it proves to us that Jesus came to this earth to wreck our culture, to wreck what our culture says about us, to wreck the, the labels that they, they stick or the labels they place on us. These are the first group of people to see Jesus. And this first group of people, they didn't just go see Jesus, but notice what they do afterwards. Like, the angel didn't tell them to do this. What did they do? They went and they just started telling everybody, hey, this Messiah that you guys have talked about in the synagogue, he's here, right? This Messiah, the one that's gonna save the world, he's here. I mean, most, they wouldn't even talk to these shepherds because of their reputation. But now these, these shepherds, they have a message of hope, not only for themselves, but for each and every person. And that message is this, the awaited Messiah has finally arrived and salvation is for all. See, in the life of Jesus, that's recorded in the Gospels, which is the first four books in the New Testament, you find example after example of Jesus doing this very thing, of him wrecking the culture. He wrecked the culture uh, when he healed the leper. Uh, he wrecked the culture when he healed the woman with issue blood and when he, he, he rescued the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. This morning, we're gonna look at one of those examples that's where we'll pick up. It says, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. This is Jesus. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. Okay, so before we, we go into the story, a few things I want to pull out is this. In verse 4, it says that you know, he's, he's traveling up to Galilee, and it says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, think about this. This is the Son of God. This, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He can do as he pleases. It's not like he has to stop in Samaria for some, you know, just on his travels, like he has to stop there. Right, it's not a geographical stop. No, it's, it's actually the purpose for him going is that he needs to go there because there's a woman that needs to hear the life-changing truth of Jesus. Verse also tells us that Jesus' humanity, it's on display, right? He's, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. That's proven here. It says that he was wore out, right? He's dirty, he's sweaty, he's tired. It's about noon when he gets to the well and he's been traveling. A lot of, a lot of commentators think he started traveling about six and it's 12. He's been walking constantly for, for six hours. It's hot. He sits down at the well, dirty, nasty, not typically how we picture Jesus, right? I mean, we usually picture Jesus wearing all white, perfectly clean, you know, no dirt on him, hair's perfect, right? He, he, just, he looks great, but not here. And I wonder if it's for this. I wonder if it's for connecting to this woman that needs to hear about him this morning. He's gonna sit down and have this conversation that I'll tell you guys this, it's not just a quick, casual conversation. In fact, this conversation is the longest recorded uh, conversation Jesus has with anyone in the Gospels. Verse seven says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because the disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, this well that she meets Jesus at, it was a, a public place that everyone, everyone knew about. In fact, this Jacob's well was made back uh, a few thousand years before this conversation in the book of Genesis. It was located around a half a mile outside of town. A couple things, the beginning of the story about this woman coming to the well, they, they stand out. First one is this, that she goes to the well about the sixth hour, which is about noon. In this culture, for, for women to do this, that would, have been a, that would have been a rare thing. Women would go and get the water first thing in the morning. Like right at 6 a.m., as soon as they got up, and they would, and they would go to the well, and they would, uh, they would you know, grab their family, grab their, their water jars, and they would go to the well to get the water for the day that they needed. They went at noon. It's so hot that it's just, it's crazy that, you know, be sweating and it, go at the coolest part of the day, not when it's the hottest part of the day. Common sense, right? Secondly, she goes to the well alone. This wasn't the normal thing to do in that culture. In that culture, when a, a woman would go and, and get the water for the day, she would a lot of times go walk there with her friends or, or meet her friends at the well or maybe meet some of her family at the well and they would converse and these ladies would talk and, and they would, it, it was a social thing. It was a thing that they did as community and forming relationships and having fellowship with each other. So it's interesting that she goes alone. Now, I'm gonna pick on women for a little bit, if that's okay. Is that all right? Okay, all right, whatever. So, I'm gonna do it anyways, all right? All right, so, that still goes on today, all right? And 
Marissa's up here, my wife, and so I got to pick on her. All right, a lot of times, you know, I'll be I'll be working here, I'll be on lunch break or something, and I'll I'll give her a call just to see how her day is going, and uh, so you know, I'll give her a call, right? And if she's not working, she'll pick up, and this is typically how the conversation goes. All right, uh, she'll be like, hey, you know, what's what's going on today? You know, and she'll be like, oh, I'm I'm just over at Kate's house, you know, which is one of her friends, right? Zach's wife. All right. All right, you know, I'm just going with your sisters, go get coffee, right? And it's like, it's not something that like lasts 10 or 15 minutes. Like, sorry, ladies, it, it goes on for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, there, now you're laughing because you know it's true, right? I mean, again, it's, it's a, social, a social aspect, right? And again, it was popular then, it's still popular now. It was something they did to form relationships and they talk about life and they start the day like that. Every woman did it in that culture, but not this woman. She goes alone. She goes to that well completely by herself. As this woman, she goes to well, man, she has no thought of Jesus. There's no thought of Jesus on her mind. The scripture doesn't say that she woke up that day and she was ready to go meet Jesus at the well. It doesn't tell us that. It just says that she goes to get water. She just goes to get water for the day. But little does she know, she may not have thought about Jesus, but Jesus was thinking of her when he sat on that well and waited by himself for her. So here, we finally have this, this conversation where Jesus, he just shatters or he wrecks her culture just in the first sentence when he says this, hey, give me a drink. Jesus being a Jewish man, sitting down and talking with a Samaritan woman was beyond even taboo in that culture. These two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans, they had such an intense hate for each other and one that really none of us we can fathom in today's culture. Jewish men, when they would go to the temple, think about this, they would, they would go to the temple and they would, they would pray and they would say, God, thank you. God, thank you so much that I'm not a Samaritan. I mean, terrible, going to the temple, going to the synagogue, praying and saying, God, I'm thankful, I'm not that. But then that's, that's bad enough, but they would take it a step further and they would say, God, I pray that the Samaritans don't have a relationship with you. God, I pray that you don't save the Samaritans. I mean, that's how bad this hatred was for each other. I mean, they would pray, not just they weren't that, but they would pray that they wouldn't come to uh, give their life to God, to follow God. It's a terrible thing. See, they hated each other for really one main reason. The Jews uh, lived in Israel. Israel was divided uh, into a north and a south part. And their enemies, the Assyrians, years before, uh, they, they had come in and they had conquered a certain part of Israel. These Assyrians, they came in and, and they began taking over. Uh, they began intermarrying with uh, Jewish women. And in that, they had children. And these children were called Samaritans. See, people, they didn't like this race. The Jewish people looked at them as not as good, as unclean, right? As socially outcast as ceremonially unclean, and as racially impure. And because of this, and the Samaritans, in reverse, they hated 
the Jewish people then. And so both parties were just, or both groups of people were just at odds all the time. At odds just with everything. We're treating each other harshly. If you can go ahead and pull it up, Nick. This is why when a Jewish man, if he was traveling to go north to Galilee from Judea, or he was traveling uh, south from Judea to Galilee, he would actually travel an additional two and a half to three days out and around Samaria. If, they, if the Jewish man would walk through Samaria, they were considered unclean. I mean, that is how messed up the culture views were then. See, Jesus, he breaks that by going right through the heart of Samaria and the town of Sychar. Again, just proving that man, he, he can save anybody, he can reach anyone. See, to put it in perspective for us, it would be like a Jewish man in the 1940s. He sat down at a table and he shared a cup of coffee with a Nazi officer. I mean, it was, I mean, it, it had huge, it was a huge cultural issue. See, Jesus, he not only wrecks the cultural norms or accepted rights by, by talking with a, a Samaritan, but also talking with a Samaritan woman. See, in this culture, men, they would not even speak with their wives in public, let alone with a, a random woman in public. I mean, they wouldn't do that, but not Jesus. Jesus, he saw her need, and he came to wreck her culture, especially when that culture accepts sin and placing ethnic and ethnic groups and, and gender and other races above other groups and saying that that was normal and that's okay. Jesus, man, he came to wreck that concept. This culture it was so far off on what was right, placing Jews above Samaritans, or if they're a Samaritan, placing them above Jews, trying to look at their race or their gender as better. See, the message of Jesus, it's proven the story that it is for all. Verse 10 says this. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and he was saying it to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give, it, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? Clearly, she still doesn't understand that the one that she's talking to, it is the son of God and he wants to do more than just to meet a physical need of, of filling her water jar with water. And she calls on him then for, for coming to the well without a water bucket, right? She calls on him. She's like, hey, you're showing up here. You want a drink of water, but you don't have one. And I mean, can we blame her? It would be like you walking up to a gas station and asking the gas station attendant, you know, tell him you need gas and you don't have a car or you don't have a gas container. I mean, it would just be absolutely, it wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't make any sense at all. And that's, that's all that she's saying here. She goes on and she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water, springing up in him for eternal life. To your question in verse 12, it's a resounding no. She was wrong twice. The living water Jesus was referencing, it can't be drawn with a physical picture from a physical well. Right? And Jesus is greater than Jacob. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's setting her up for the next set of verses. Her thirst, it was a, a spiritual, not a physical one. 
For years, she tried to fill her life from a place that only made her more thirsty and more thirsty and more thirsty. So Jesus and her, they continue this conversation. Verse 15, sir, the woman said to him, give me this water that I won't get thirsty again and have to come here and draw water. And then Jesus changes gears. Notice this. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. She's like, yes, give me this water. If I never have to carry these water jars every day at the hottest part of the day, like to this well and fill them up, that's great. I want that living water. Let's be honest, like that, that's... Sounds pretty good, right? If you're in her shoes, you're going, hey, get water all the time, never have to come back here, make this trip every day, hottest part of the day, awesome, great. But she's missing, again, the concept, missing what Jesus is trying to say. So to help her understand what he's talking about, Jesus, he does something interesting. He goes to that awkward place. He goes to that dark place, that uncomfortable place of sin in her life, that thing that she had tirelessly and tirelessly tried to fill her life with. So many times it had left her unsatisfied. She was searching for love. Right? We see that based off the fact that Jesus calls her out and says, you've been married five times and the guy that you're sleeping with now and you're living with, he's not your husband. She spent a lifetime searching and searching and searching and searching. But only Jesus can fill that. Uh, we have a tradition here at, uh, around Christmas time at Few Student Ministries, and it's called the Jingle Bell Rock, and some of the students are in here. You guys know what I'm talking about. And uh, so it, pretty much how it goes is this. We have this big, massive silver rock that myself and Peyton, we take to an undisclosed location that is public property in Seneca County, and we hide it, all right? And uh, le- from Thanksgiving to Christmas, uh, leading up to Christmas, we give out two clues a week. We give out a clue on social media. We give out a clue here at Fuse on Sunday nights. And uh, we just, you know, it kind of starts out Thanksgiving really general, really vague, and it gets a lot more focused as we get closer to Christmas until it's found. Uh, the student or the students that find it, they get $200 cash, which is, hey, let's be honest, that's a good amount of money. And if you're a high schooler, right, I mean, that's, that's quite a bit of money. So, you know, they, a lot of them get on board. We had a ton of students this year that were looking for it tirelessly searching, trying to find this thing. In fact, um, there's a few parents in here that this, you guys will get it, all right? I actually had a mom that called me one night in the middle of the night, like at midnight, at midnight, and was like, hey, we're lost in the middle of this woods. We're trying to find this rock, you know? And I'm like, you're not even close to it, you know? I mean, so, and that happened a couple times. That wasn't just one parent. It was actually two parents, and then about five or six students. Uh, and so I guess, it, here's the deal, right? They, they, were, they were so far off. They were searching, searching so far off, not even close. In fact, a lot of them were not even in the right park and miles from the rock, and it did get found by Cole and Jack New Love, so good job, guys. Um, that's like Jesus in the story, right? He's trying to get her to see that she had searched and she had searched and she had searched in so many other places, but she was so far off. She tried to fill her life with relationships, with finding love, and she was so far off. 
I mean, we do this the same, right? I mean, maybe it's a hobby. Right? We, we can't ever get content because and we're always trying to just get more in that hobby. Or maybe it is like this woman at the well and it's a relationship. I mean, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's money. Jesus, he knew her need and he knows our need as well. He sees that you're searching like her. You're searching for that love. You're searching for acceptance, for fulfillment, for joy in life. And, and he wants to just tell you to stop searching and to trust him. Stop searching and give your life over to him for he's the only one that can fill that empty spot in your life. So Jesus, he exposes her sin. Jesus, he goes to that dark place, that place of painful memories, embarrassing sin. And he points that she was trying to fill her life with love from a man. She went to the well alone in the hottest part of the day because she was viewed as an outcast in her society. She was viewed as unwanted by the other ladies in the town. She was viewed as somebody that was unclean based off of her sin. See, her culture was just placing these labels, was sticking these labels on her. Saying, you're unwanted, you're a social outcast. You're never gonna be good enough. And then this conversation with Jesus, she talks to him and she goes to religion. She brings up religion, right? A lot of times what our culture does when it's confronted with sin, it brings in religion. But little does she know, as we talked about two weeks ago, Jesus' birth wrecks our religion. Culture's response to sin is organized religion. That's what she talks about here. Our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews, you say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Real quick, when he says, you can go back to the last one. When he says salvation is from the Jews, he's clearly speaking about himself because he's Jewish. All right, next slide. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. See, she had a knowledge of religion. And when Jesus, he exposed the sin that she had and just trying to find a man that would love her, right, to, to fill this area in her life, all she's doing is she, she goes to religion and she, she brings it up and she claims, you know, religion. Like that's gonna be the fix. That's gonna help her, right? Claim that the four walls of a building, this synagogue, this temple, is where the answer is. But little did she know that Jesus, he already had spoken about this back in Isaiah 29, 13. It says this, the Lord said these people, they approached me with their speeches, right, to honor me with lip service like they do in religious services, right? Yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worships, their worship of me. See, Jesus, he came to wreck our culture view that says religion can fix us. Jesus shares that true worshipers, they worship in spirit and in truth. What Jesus is saying by this is, again, it's the fix is not in religion. It's in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It goes outside of the four walls of the church. It's the relationship that we follow. We give our heart to God. We trust in him. See, she would understand this easily. It would all start to kind of click and to make sense. She was constantly, again, about pursuing an earthly relationship, fulfilling this empty spot in her heart. And it all probably started to, 
to click when she was sitting there on that well beside Jesus, holding that empty water pot. And she's looking into it, right? It's completely empty. And, and maybe as she looked in that, she thought, you know, it's, it's like my life. My life is empty like this water jar. And I've, I've, I've filled it multiple times, but it's always empty. It all starts to make sense to her. Relationships couldn't fill her. Her religion couldn't fix her. Only a relationship with Jesus could. See, everything from her culture, as she was taught, everything that they said about her was turning upside down. What her culture maybe labeled her as, what, what they, they stuck on her, how they viewed her, how she would find fulfillment or how she would try to fix her mess-ups. Everything that her culture showed her was completely wrecked. The text doesn't tell us that at this very moment that she gives her life to Jesus, but verse 28 to 30 does tell us this. Then the woman left her water jar and went into town, and notice this, she's told all the people, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town, and knows what they do, and made their way to him. See, she leaves her, her water jar behind, showing there's something of greater necessity than her physical need to be met. And that was this, to go tell others about this, this guy that's claiming to be the Messiah, this Jesus. In verse 39, it says that, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him, notice this, because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. See, what I love about the story is it literally, is literally the message of hope from Jesus to every single person, regardless of what gender, regardless of what race, ethnicity, it does not matter. Jesus is greater than our culture and he came to wreck it. If you remember back earlier in the message and she was just going through the motions of her life, like just going through the normal day, going to get some water, right? With no thought of Jesus. But again, the entire time as Jesus sat down on that well, he thought of her. It wasn't an accident that she came to the well and that Jesus stopped at the well. No, it was intentional by Jesus. And it's not an accident that you're here this morning. Jesus, he wants to meet with you. If you've never given your life to him, he wants to start that relationship today. Church, maybe it's something that you just do because your family does. Like you're here every Sunday because it's what everybody does in your family. Or maybe uh, you know that it's a, a good thing to do and so you're like, hey, I'm gonna go to church, right, every Sunday that I can. See, regardless of the reason you're here today, it doesn't matter. And God has intentions of meeting you. See, this woman, she came to the well struggling with the issues that were not her identity. Feeling so maybe like someone here today. See, what we find out about the story is this, is that her culture, they stuck this label on her and she felt, she felt forsaken. Her culture, again, we know from the story, she went to the, 
the well alone, right? Her culture stuck this label on her, made her feel alone. I'm sure she took some verbal, maybe attack or whatever, right? And her culture made her feeling weak on many different levels. Her culture stuck the label on her and made her feel unwanted, right? We know that. She goes to well alone, no friends, right? Goes by herself the hottest part of the day. Culture made her feel worthless, right? Based on, again, choices she had made, sinful choices. In her culture, if you, really one word that probably summarizes her up the best as far as how the culture viewed her would be an outcast. She had these labels placed on her that her culture had given her. Again, because of her life choices, she messed up, there's no doubt. Though these feelings, they may have been real to her, does not mean that they're true. See, when she encounters Jesus, she finds that out. And when we encounter Jesus, we give our life to him. No matter what our culture throws in us, Jesus is greater. Jesus always has the answer. See, we may feel some of these like this woman, and you could put a thousand different things or 10,000 different things on here that, that our culture maybe makes us feel because of choices we made, but we have to get this, that Jesus came for us regardless. It does not matter what our culture throws on us. In fact, Jesus, he has an answer for every one of these labels that our culture throws on us. First one is forsaken. Jesus says this, I will never leave you or abandon you. Next one. May feel like we're alone. What did Jesus say? I'm with you always. May feel like we're weak. But what did Jesus say? Hey, when you're weak, I'm strong. May feel unwanted. What did Jesus say? I've chosen you. You may feel worthless. Romans 5, 8 says this, that you were worth dying for. You may feel like her, feel like an outcast. Notice this, you're valued above creation. See all these labels that our culture sticks on us. Notice, it's interesting about these, all these, these labels that culture throws on her, are people that all throughout the Gospels, when Jesus is doing his life, doing his ministry, those are the people that Jesus gravitated towards. Those are the people that Jesus went to. Those are the people that he healed. Those are the people that he fixed. Those are the people that he gave new life. Were people that were outcasts, were people that were weak, were people that were unwanted, people that felt worthless. That's who Jesus came for. And so regardless of what label our culture has placed on us and regardless of what label he's, our culture has placed on you, know this, that Jesus wants you today. She was viewed as a social outcast. Jesus came to her. The shepherds, they were viewed as social outcasts. Jesus came to them. And he wants to come to us today regardless. See, our culture does not define us. 
Jesus was born to wreck our culture and to prove to us that freedom and forgiveness can only be offered in him and him alone. It is for everyone. And we see that in the Christmas story in the woman at the well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you. God, what an what a awesome time of the year. God, we just get to stop. We spend, a lot of us spend maybe a week or a couple weeks or even a month just celebrating Christmas with family, friends, and loved ones. God, we can't miss the greatest thing to celebrate this Christmas season, which is the birth of your son, being that you gave us the Messiah that as the shepherds heralded that brought salvation to all people, to those people they told. God, I pray that you would help us. God, regardless of what labels our culture puts on us, regardless of what, how, how we feel, help us to remember that, God, you are greater. You have an answer to every single one of those, no matter how many times we've messed up, no matter how many people we've let down. God, we know this, that you are greater. God, help us to remember that as we go throughout our week and, and to remember that, God, if we've not given our life to you, to let none of those things stand in the way, but today to truly follow you and give our life to you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.